This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Because if you don't know your history, you don't know your future. And your future is to be what happened the early days under Martin and Jimmy Murphy without doubt and, and, and tell them that what Jimmy did about planting seeds of the, the history that is the most important thing you can do with young players coming to my United tell them what the, the expectation is to realise the expectation is you know what for a point for my United there's no point for Bolton Wonders or Burry or, or Rochdale it's a point for the biggest club in the world So we said um, in the start of the last episode, really, that it was the darkest before the dawn, and these are the dark, dark days, Paddy, and the dawn mm-hmm. that we'll talk mm-hmm. about today, 89-90 season. Um, we ended the last show talking about Michael Knight and, and the um, juggling in front of the Stretford end. Yeah. But the, um, the serious point of Michael Knight was that he was seen as the free-spending vehicle um, who would end the, the wait for the league title, which was becoming the holy grail at this point. Um and really, I know that Martin Edwards was the owner chairman, but mm-hmm. Knighton's involvement was seen as the sort of catalyst for the big spender that summer, wasn't yeah. it? Yes, he was. It was, uh, I suppose, in a way, a sort of uh, uh, off the field Eric Cantona uh, in that sense, in that he loosened things up. You know, he he made things flow, and in particular, he made the money flow out of Martin's wallet. Um, uh, I'm speaking metaphorically because uh, it basically made Manchester United spend a lot of money. As you'll recall from previous episodes, um, one of the things Martin Edwards and, and uh, the board as a whole said to Alex Ferguson when he came um, a few years earlier um, from Aberdeen was that the war, you know, it, might, it was a big club, but it, it didn't have an unlimited budget. So there wouldn't be huge amounts to spend on players. Um, but I think during the period, the, the, the Knighton and pre-Knighton periods, um, when, in a sense, um, Martin thought he was spending uh, Knighton's money rather than the club's, um, uh, the purse strings were certainly loosened. And, and, and a very, very important signing, who I'm sure we'll get on to, Gary Pallister, was made. Mm. Um, I mean, that was a world... A, a, Certainly a British record for a defender at, at the time, and um, but it, it turned out to be a very, very successful and uh, significant signing. Yeah, Knighton, um, because of the fact that he was on the field juggling in the in the training kit, mm. um, has become. I wouldn't say a figure of ridicule, but certainly a figure of curiosity in Old Trafford history because he was sort of yes. here and then gone. But um, it should be noted that he was on the board for a while and yeah. um, he claims that Edwards and, and the United Directors took many of um, the points of his vision um, mm-hmm. to, to 
help United become the sort of commercial beast that they would become. He actually, funnily enough, um, claims that he does have another blueprint uh, which the Glazers should follow in the modern age. Just a little side note there, which I, I'd be definitely most interested in. in. Fascinated by that, um, uh, particularly by his, his scorn, his obvious scorn for... Uh, for the Glazers, and uh, you know, I, I think as far as that's concerned, he, you know, he would undoubtedly have uh, every football fan, whether Man United or or not, um, agreeing with him. Before we get into the incomings, a couple of outgoings: Norman Whiteside and Paul McGraw. And isn't it funny that um, mm. though those two players are seen as um, big sort of collateral damage figures of the the early Ferguson years but we're talking three years into his reign and he's he's often seen as like he came in wielding this axe like the in the way that Doherty got rid of Dennis Law Mm. um, after just a few months but he didn't he put up with them for three years I say put up with them they were obviously great players and great I mean they played they played sort of half seasons uh, in every season they were there they weren't sort of forgotten men or made to play in the youth team like you know, like a clough um, yeah. um, villain, you know. Uh, so, yeah, the, 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 it was all done in a very, very mature and gradual way. Yeah, <coughs> McGraw sold on, sold on, and obviously had some incredible years with Aston Villa, and um, a sort of and rena- Ireland. Yeah, Renaissance with Ireland as well, and um, Norman Whiteside doing have quite the same fortune because he was already suffering from injury problems by the time he left United mm-hmm. um, went to Everton and unfortunately had to retire there but two players who on talent if you're talking about sheer talent they would grace any United team sheet in history and I don't say that lightly I honestly believe that no um, no. I mean Whiteside was a was a world star at uh, before his seventeenth birthday, I think. You know, yeah. after his performances for Northern Ireland in in the World Cup, um, and and you know, although not blessed with pace, I mean, Whiteside was so good at looking after himself that his uh, technical qualities would have come through. He was, uh, uh, he, but for injury, and and you know, arguably, a, a, you know, more a, a taste for the for the nightlife. Um, you know, he would he would have had an even better career than he did, but uh, he wasn't a, an inconsiderable player at all, particularly after moving into midfield. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Uh, two two Old Trafford greats, absolutely fantastic players. Whiteside, of yes. course, that great goal in the well, he's <laughs> numerous great goals, but most notably in the FA Cup final. Well, he in, beat the best goalkeeper with that with that curling winner in the cup final. He beat the best. I, I would say, and it's only a personal opinion, yeah. he beat uh, Neville Southall, who was the best goalkeeper I've ever seen in the English top division. He that's, was. that's only my personal opinion, yeah. but I, I, I've never seen a better one. Yeah, the cat. Um, ironically enough, Southall was linked with a move to United. Um, Clayton Blackmore knew him from the Welsh days. I'm sure I've told you this story before. And the, mm. he... Um, Ferguson as he often did sent feelers out into the international squads and I think Blackmore had um, tried to tap him up yeah. a little bit and then Southall did the famous um, sitting against the post thing yeah. and apparently that um, counted against him although I asked <laughs> Southall I did I, I asked Southall on Twitter if um, if there was any truth in the rumour that he wanted to sign for United and he just said no of course he might just say that because of, yeah. obviously of, of the thing but uh, you know, I completely agree Southall was the um, was the one of well 
definitely the standout and we talked about some great goalkeepers um, as we record this podcast mm. um, some some great goalkeepers have, have been in the news lately Ray Clements obviously passing away yeah. um, Ari Gregg passed away earlier this year but um, Southall in the 80s was yeah I would I would put him up there with um, the best in the world absolutely and um as a side note the white side goal in 85 was the last trophy that United had won and they were trying to follow that um, with the that was the pressure that was on Ferguson for this season indeed and um, so especially with the the outgoings of Whiteside and McGraw he needed to sort of back that up and so he spent a lot of money Mike Field and, and Neil Webb were in the team for the opening day Webb uh, putting in a bit of a masterclass against Arsenal um, the the champions were beaten 4-1 Gary Pallister you mentioned Gary Pallister very interesting it's a couple of big names here that came in Danny Wallace not so much but a very good winger Gary yeah. two names Gary Pallister and Paul Lins. Gary Pallister in late August um, followed that great trend Paddy of a defender having a nightmare on the debut yeah uh, um, Evra. Yeah. <laughs> yeah absolutely um, conceded a penalty to Norwich in a 2-0 defeat but Pallister though the thing what was good about Pallister is that he, he had the height to complement Bruce's bravery and according to again according to Clayton Blackmore when, when I put it to him about Cantona obviously obviously had these conversations he said that he felt Pallister was the most crucial signing because it's stopped um, well when it comes to the forthcoming successes that we're going to talk about in this series really because it, it was his height that stopped United getting yeah. bullied against teams like Wimbledon um, whether or not yeah, I mean that's obviously open to debate and, and opinion and Clayton was closer to it than you or I so he's certainly entitled to it but yeah. one thing that we can certainly say is Bruce and Pallister together yeah, that was a bedrock for United. Oh, uh, uh, absolutely. So, and uh, the other thing about Palace, the height was very, very important, of course. But also, uh, what you what you have to remember is he was lightning quick. Yeah. Uh, if he if he'd been just a big lad uh, who turned like the Titanic, uh, I don't think it would have hit the spot mm. the way it did. And and uh, it was his pace that that meant that the Bruce Pallister partnership had everything. Uh, and, and bear in mind, sorry, the, it, it would be doing Pallister a disservice also to say that he wasn't a good footballer. Mm. Oh, uh, yeah. He, could, he, could bring, he was good in terms of bringing the ball out from the back. He could play. So, I mean, uh, you look, look back at him and, and, and you think, heavens, you know, what didn't he have? Uh, and, and uh, yeah, he... he uh, he was, as I say, a very significant signing indeed. Yeah, that's Gary Pallister. Um, he was yeah. followed. The, the funny thing about that was a British record for a defender, two point three million. But he'd come from relegated side Middlesbrough, so already yeah. for people thinking, oh, are you are you picking the players wisely, Fergie? And then Paul Ince was another one <coughs> um, comes in. I mean, Paul Ince is a different kettle of fish because everyone knew the talent that he had, but um, that was a protracted and controversial move. Um, you mentioned the dark arts of transfers in the last podcast, yeah. but yeah, he was pictured in the United shirt before he actually completed the move and the West Ham fans went mad about it yeah. um, so much so that I mean that was for years after I think that really started the, the bad tension between United and West Ham um, yeah embarrassing I mean, he started the genre didn't he uh, <laughs> players getting booed at their former ground <laughs> uh, I, I mean the the, the, the receptions that uh, that Paul Inscott were rivaled probably only by Saul Campbell's receptions at, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. at, at Tottenham after he'd uh, gone on a free to Arsenal but uh, yeah he, he, as they say he was the father of a genre he created a lot of bitterness and there, there had even before then 
been a, a sort of it got, had a, a a couple of reputations for being a bit of a uh, not a, not a drinker but a, 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 you know a, a, a controversial character mm. and uh, even though he's only twenty one um, and also he didn't have a particularly good injury record and hence the structure of the deal which uh, you'll correct me if I'm wrong Wayne but I think he was on a paper paper play pay for play uh, deal at first before yeah. the, the deal was uh, so that was a, a sign that even at 21 you know Ferguson had a had a feeling that yeah this is, this is one that we ought to be careful of and uh, and let's see how it goes he turned out to be an absolute uh, fundamental part uh, of, of Ferguson's first great side um, but at, at, at the moment he it, 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 it seemed like probably the biggest gamble out of the, uh, the, the, the new wave of, of new players yeah it's, it's, it's considerably um, amusing when you look back at the fact he was such an all action player and that he threw himself into the heart of the battle and he yeah. proved to be as durable as he was and, and that was the point about Ince in that um, like you said with Pallister as well they didn't start out so well for them and they were seen as gambles and this was part of the reason why the pressure was cranked up on Sir Alex but um in slight well, Rob, Rob spent a lot of money and the team seemed to be getting worse yeah because they lost 5-1 at City Paddy which yeah. was one that Fergie called um, one of the worst days of my career in September 1989 um, after losing 5-1 apparently uh, no sorry funnily enough with that game United by all accounts according to the players and the manager started the game quite well but there was a little bit of crowd trouble the, the players had to be pulled off the pitch they went back on and then City scored twice in the first couple of minutes and mm-hmm. United never recovered from that um, Fergie like I said called it one of the worst days of his career he said at the end of it he said the cameras were around the dugout as if they were filming an obituary which they nearly were it was an early kickoff. I was back at the house for 3pm and I went straight to my bed and put my head under the pillow I was mm-hmm. in total shock and completely gone um Paddy, it was that severe, wasn't it? It was that was um Well, that was my recollection. But listen, you're gonna find this very funny because <laughs> one of the <clears throat> we talked about the youth policy and one of the players he, he took on was was uh, a young kid called Darren Ferguson, who of course <laughs> was just one of his sons, one of his three sons. Anyway, uh, this was from uh, an interview that Darren who went on to become manager of Peterborough United, gave to the Sunday Times uh, in 2009. Listen to this. Dad never brought his work home. (laughs) I remember him coming home the evening United were beaten 5-1 by City. He just laughed, not because he didn't care, but because it was just one of those things that happen in football. Things you don't see coming and can't do much to avert. So, who do we believe? It's like it's like Trump and Biden. Unbelievable. Uh, I will say that the Ferguson quotes I picked up there were from the book that he did with David Meek, um, Six yeah. Years at United, which was 1992, closer yeah. to the time. And, uh, funnily enough, before United had won that first title. Yeah. Um, I mean, what you have to say is it's perfectly possible that he came home and 
you know, there was a silence, you know, with Kathy and the boys, and, 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 and he said, ah, oh, come on, you know, trying to cheer them up, and then went to his bed. Um, so it, it might be that they're both right, and they, they, they both uh, remember what they were meant to remember. Uh, do you know, it's perfectly feasible that the, the husband came home and put his head under a pillow, but the father came out a little bit later and said everything was fine. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. But yeah, um, you know what, that was the start of a, a bad period. There was four in, four wins in five games after that which hinted at a bit of a recovery but the truth was that it was taking some time to gel everything together and then United went on a run of no wins in 11 league games that was over the turn of the year and it included um, the fateful trip to Nottingham Forest in the FA Cup Um, and he said before the cup tie was certainly the blackest period in my life as a manager and I don't think he ever went on record as contradicting that one did he Paddy really? No no definitely not uh, that that uh, he was always very very clear about um, I, I remember speaking to him a bit later about you know I, I said you know did you doubt your um, ability well after what he'd done at Aberdeen you know, you wouldn't. I, I imagined that the answer was going to be no, no. I knew it was a good manager. I just wasn't sure how it was going. He said, "Yeah, I did. I did. Mm. I wondered if the banners were right. You know, uh, it's time to go. I want. You know, I, I'm not. I'm paraphrasing what he said, but he wondered. You know, am I just another manager who was great at one club but couldn't hack it at, you know, the very, very top level? Um, you know, should I really go back to Scotland? You know, I. I'm not saying he felt that that he lost faith in himself but he did he was he was asking those questions there was Mm -hmm. insecurity there genuine insecurity there Um, and and I must admit I I was quite surprised to to hear that Um, but no he was very clear that that was the blackest spell and the other uh, point that I'm sure that you that that you'll get on to is that the support he received from the board uh, from Martin Edwards and the board was genuine. That's not them being wise after the event. No. Um, Because Martin did go to him before the Nottingham Forest match, um, the first match in the Cup. I mean, he he couldn't, uh, could hardly have had a more difficult Cup draw, funnily enough, um, uh, than than in the first, the third round, the first round that United played, Nottingham Forest away. I mean, that was a good side. um, but uh, yeah, before that game, um, uh, uh, Martin Edwards said, "You know, you're, whatever happens today, you're not going." Uh, and by the way, the, the press have just asked me uh, to give you a vote of confidence, and the board have discussed it and said, "No, uh, because of the way that's usually perceived, that's just going to put on more pressure." So uh, Martin declined to um, to uh, answer the journalist's question. So. It was, yeah, it was it was a difficult decision for uh, Edwards and the board, um, but the, the, that they made it was, uh, in my opinion, absolutely beyond um, argument. They, they, Sir Ferguson's job was safe, and Martin uh, certainly told me that um, part of the reason it wasn't just. You know, they'd spent, what, eight, nine million quid on all these inses and webs and stuff. And and the team wasn't doing better in the league. But what he could see 
was that that youth policy with Darren Ferguson in it, and 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 you know even better players at schoolboy level, mm. um, you know the likes of Beckham and you know the class of '92, they knew the club was going in in the right direction even then, even before they went to Nottingham. So I genuinely think that his job was safe. Um, it, 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 we're probably more sure about it now than Ferguson was at the time. Yeah, but but certainly, I mean, you've talked about his vulnerability there, um, which was yeah. very much clear and real, and and it was assuaded by um, Edwards doing that. And it was the morning before the game, wasn't it, against Forest? It he, he did he did that, which yeah. and and I think that's uh, the big thing is that Ferguson then he felt a little bit more confident because Edwards had sort of said and he confronted that head on. You wouldn't normally see that from a chairman to go in and say, look, the press have asked me to do this, but I've refused, and I'm not going to, because it's so transparent. Um, And it's probably fair to say, Paddy, that Ferguson, as much as anyone, was um, grateful that Edwards had retained control, because if Knighton had come in with all that money, and United were playing as badly as they were, he didn't have the, he didn't have the same kind, not loyalty, but even investment in a way because Edwards had been so stringent with that sort of we want the youth policy in place because of the sort of work that his dad and Busby had put in place mm-hmm. because he was such a United fanatic I'm not saying that Knighton wasn't but he didn't have that investment in the three years that they'd spent together putting no. that in place No uh, Edwards is uh, and Charlton of course yeah. as well uh, both Sir Bobby Charlton but their knowledge of the club's traditions was fundamental to the behaviour of the club during that period. Mm. There's no question about that. And, uh, you know, I, I think one thing that, uh, one of many things that's come out of our study, uh, Wayne, of, of, of Manchester United, is um, that, that Martin Edwards has been a profoundly helpful influence on the club uh, over, over the years. And the more you study it, the more you understand that... The, of all the accusations made against Martin during his dark, uh, difficult years, um, the, the, the accusation that he didn't understand United and have Manchester United and have it coursing through his blood is probably the most ludicrous and false, uh, mm. because he, he certainly did, and along with Bobby Charlton, uh, managed to, uh, to borrow a phrase to keep the flag flying during Ferguson's dark years. Yeah, um, you mentioned the, the youth policy that was bearing fruit. It'd take a couple of years until that had some tangible effects. But yeah. in the reserve side that season, two players made a single appearance: Ryan Wilson at the start of the season and Adrian Doherty at the end of it. So it's, it gave the idea that those players could step up to central league level, which was mm-hmm. a big physical step up for for those players. I mean, this is two years before the um, yeah. before the FA Youth Cup uh, run, yeah. which was famous. Um, but the difference, as you rightly say, there's a difference between uh, youth football and reserve team football, which in those days was intensely competitive and and very helpful in in building the strength required for first team action. And still, and still, Paddy, the the idea, and I'm going to run through some names here that. Um, the the youth players it still had an, an incredible impact on the, the the destiny of this season because the combination for the goal at Nottingham Forest was born in United's youth policy. Mm-hmm. Mark Hughes with that tremendous pass to Mark Robbins yeah. uh, who scored in the next round at Hereford 
when you might have said, you know, United were playing on this even worse pitch, and, and if Hereford had won, then you really are looking at the pressure being knocked up. Two more youth products, Mike Duxbury and Clayton Blackmore, combined to score a goal. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, I won't drop a spoiler, but the, the, the cup final itself is decided by a, a player from United's policy. Um, incredible when you look at it in that context. That you, obviously, the, the, the fruit was being... Um, Prepared for tomorrow, yep, but, but yep. even in today's um, yep. today's day, it was it was contributing to the better moments of Ferguson's reign. Yeah, yeah exactly. Who who gave the ball to Mark Hughes? And by the way, that pass by Mark Hughes, say you know, was the one that saved that cup run. Yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Mark Robbins scored the goal, and obviously a proper took a proper goal scorer to score it, but the final finish it could have been applied by you or me. It was that good. Uh, because of the pass by Hughes absolutely fantastic um, uh, hit with the outside of the right foot tempted the goalkeeper bounced back into uh, Lee, Mart- uh, Lee Martin uh, into Mark Robbins's path oh and by the way Lee Martin uh, I'm certainly not going to spoil the ending but Lee Martin was also a, a product of the youth policy as you well know and who won the ball from uh, <laughs> Uh, to give it to Mark Hughes, Lee Martin. So it, it just, you know, the, the the as you say, the influence of United's youth policy was also already being felt in this cup run. Yeah, um, all the way to semi-final cup run went yeah. to Main Road. Two classic semis with Oldham, um, both oh. went to extra time. And um, Mark Robbins. The semi-finals I can remember in the FA Cup. I mean, and do you know what Oldham took United a couple of years after this as well but yeah. certainly these ones the ones in 1990 were unbelievable absolutely fantastic and meanwhile in the other one Crystal Palace yeah. beaten the great Liverpool 4-3 in an incredible game poor old Alan Hansen found Crystal Palace's direct game aerial game too much for him you know so it was these were these were two of the greatest pair of semi-finals uh, of the FA Cup, the original game. But uh, yeah, I, I never forget the game against uh, Oldham. Uh, the, I think it was at Main Road, yeah, Man, yeah. Man City's old ground. And I, 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 if I can, you know, use a personal note, at halftime, Ferguson. Uh, I can't use the words um, that Ferguson used to me <laughs> in the because at Main Road there's a there was a sort of communal area uh, between the manager's office and the, and, and, and the stands, the director's box, where the press were allowed in. Um, and everybody sort of mingled. You'd see all the scouts and all that. And uh, it was wonderful, you know, for, <clears throat> for us because we were able to see, the, you know, the great and the good of football and have, have a cup of tea. And anyway, Ferguson had been at the dressing rooms and, and, and was heading for some office. The office he'd been allocated uh, for, that, for that match. And he was walking through. And uh, I'm not allowed to use uh, uh, four-letter words, am I? You no, know, you can on this because it's a private, it's a subscription well, podcast, the, the so adjective, we can do it. <laughs> the adjective was, fuck you, fucking... And the second, <laughs> the second word was probably the... The, the, a word that's worse than fucking so I can't really use it yeah. uh, because a lot of people find it really disrespectful uh, because uh, it, it, it contains it's about an item of uh, anatomy and it's, uh, 
<laughs> anyway, that's what he called me. <laughs> he called me. Now, in Scotland, where I come from. I, I was going to say, what, what prompted this? Well, <laughs> I, I didn't know. I mean, I was, I was shocked. Because when you call someone, a, you know, that really appalling yeah. uh, combination of words... It's not necessarily significant, you know. Particularly in the football community, it's it's the lingua franca, you know. It's uh, <laughs> and it can be used as a compliment. Yeah. Uh, yeah you know. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and and I sort of looked up with a grin, and uh, <laughs> he stabbed his finger at me, and he said, "Yeah," and repeated it. So I thought, "Oh, what on earth is that?" And uh, what have I done? Because, you know, I'd been, uh, you know, during all these dark times, which were only, you know, still hadn't come to an end. During all these dark times, I'd got in big arguments with fellow journalists, you know, who didn't know him. I mean, uh, the way I did uh, his career as as intimately as I did and didn't know the the enormousness of his his, uh, achievements at Aberdeen. Um, I'd been in quite a lot of arguments, you know, saying, yeah, don't you worry, he's going to be all all right. And even when I didn't believe it, I would argue, you know, just because to give them, you know, a bit of knowledge, a bit of education as to the quality of this Ferguson. Um, So it kind of annoyed me. I'd never had anything against him. So on the Monday I rang his office and the phone went slammed straight back down. And uh, so I made a few more calls and absolutely nothing. So eventually, I think I might even have written to him, got no, no reply. And uh, eventually I got a call from someone. Actually, it was probably about a year later. And they said, you, you know what, Annoyed? I've just found a, an old cutting of a piece you wrote for The Independent. And what I'd said, and he'd circled the phrase, and it said, I'd said, matters at Old Trafford seem to be ebbing out of old, uh, out of Sir, out of Alex Ferguson's control. And the key word is control. <laughs> and anyone who questioned his control, even in an unbiased article, was a villain. And that's the best theory I've ever had as to why he uh, he, he said that. And then there was a. The sequel to it was at the end of the season. Sorry, I'm, I'll try and put this. And uh, at the end of the season, I went to a match at Leeds. Because Leeds were obviously getting promoted and they'd strapped yeah. in the team and, and McAllister, a lot of players. And I thought, this is going to be a good team that's coming up here. I want to go and see it. So I went to, go, went to see it. And uh, Ferguson and Brian Kidd and Archie Knox had obviously decided to go to the game at, as, as well. And as I came down the stairs, I saw the three of them. <laughs> honestly I don't know where I got the courage from because the hairdryer came out and it was me it was me with the hairdryer I went over to them and uh, Kid and Knox turned round and I said to Ferguson something like you know and I started using words like you're fucking this and fucking that and I was saying I was saying you know after all you know the backing I've given you I mean it was terribly self-important stuff you know I, after all the support I've given you, you know, and I said <laughs> I was full of righteous indignation I said you you won't even pick up the fucking phone and tell me what I'm supposed to have done wrong and 
Anyway, and I can still see. I can't remember what Ferguson did. He probably just sort of. Uh, but but uh, I remember the faces of Knox and Kid. You know, <laughs> either of whom could have felled me with a little pinky. Uh, look, at, you know the faces, the eyes boggling and the and the mouths wide open. And I thought, you, you don't speak like this to Fergie. Anyway, I was full of this righteous indignation. I turned on my heel and went away. But. Uh, Oh, where, where the courage came from, I don't know. But luckily, I got I, I emerged unscathed. <laughs> One person who might have been just as angry, at Sir Alex, as, as you were um, at the time, <laughs> Jim Layton. Um, so we talk a little bit oh, about the, the much, ba- much more, much more. <laughs> the, um, the the background to this. So Busby, uh, Matt Busby, had said to Fergie, "Don't buy the papers. Certainly don't read them." So he's obviously made an exception for your comment. <laughs> uh, Robson uh, Robbins had decided the semi-final with a goal in the replay. Um, United finished in thirteenth. Um, it, it's fair to say that the cup run was seen as more than just papering over the cracks it was seen as something that um, could kickstart um, United's legacy under Ferguson if, if he could win the title uh, win, the, win the trophy um, in the game before the cup final, the penultimate league game Jim Layton, Ferguson was um, toying with the idea of dropping Jim Layton because he'd not had a great season um, but obviously this was one of those big calls because he brought Layton into the club, he'd been there for two years and he, I think two years even by Ferguson's standards in these early days was seen as too short a time to sort of call time on a, a big name career like this um, so he'd sort of given Layton the benefit of the doubt and played him against Charlton in the, penult- in, in the last league game um, he kept a clean sheet so he went, all right, you're in my cup final team. Um, but then the cup final itself against Crystal Palace, who, by the way, incidentally, came through that um, double uh, the, the semi-final against Liverpool, having lost 9-0 to them earlier in the season. That's right, yeah. Um, but they, they were much more than... Um, than just a match for United in the in the semi final in the final itself. Sorry, they were they were very good and looked... well, they had this great great front too, right and bright. Didn't oh they? yeah, yeah, and um, looked close to winning it as well. And, and to be fair, Leighton didn't have his best game in there. Um, but he, yeah. um, obviously, this was a big this was a big story. It wasn't just Ferguson falling out with the goalkeeper. This is someone that he knew, um, someone that he'd brought to United to bring stability. And within yeah. two years, he's well, saying... Well, had won him, uh, had, gone, had helped to make his reputation, you yeah. know, as long with McLeish and Miller. They were the bedrock of that Aberdeen side. Mm. Um, and uh, so he, will, he would not have dropped Jim Leighton with a, with a light heart. In fact, there were lots of... Um, Arguments between uh, uh, Archie Knox and you know Archie Knox. He, 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 you know that game against Oldham, the, yeah. the, the drew three all. Well, he, he he was thinking of leaving Leighton out of that. Big, and and it was only Archie Knox who put, put Leighton back in the team. He just he persuaded Ferguson that uh, that if that it would have been wrong to erode uh, Leighton's confidence by dropping him, um, and and Ferguson took. Knox's point on that on that occasion, um, and and the similar argument, of course, the similar conundrum took place before the final, and once again, uh, the on the balance of uh, on the balance of favour, you know, went went in in favour of Leighton staying in, but the replay, yep, that was when uh, he made the big decision to bring in Les Seeley in, instead. Les Seeley, a different sort of character 
to not as probably as good a goalkeeper yeah. Uh, yeah. in terms of his overall career as Jim Leighton. Um, but, uh, you know, Londoner, cocky, confident, like, you know, so many good goalkeepers, uh, uh, you know, made a career of thinking he was the best goalkeeper in the world and, and behaving as such. Whereas Leighton was a much more sort of scientific goalkeeper, if you like. Um, so this was this was the this was the big decision made. Yeah, um, it's confidence is a key factor here, isn't it? Because Ferguson had acknowledged how Leighton, what he quoted him, he was actually quoted as saying, "In the dressing room, Leighton sat with his head between his knees, and it was then I knew he had to be left out of the replay." Um, you mentioned Seely's confidence, and that's absolutely true. And the funny thing is, he was known as the judge because he spent all his time on the bench. <laughs> he still, still believed right. that he still came in with his confidence that yeah I can be Manchester United's goalkeeper in the um, yeah. Seeley by the way great character and obviously a name that's going to come up again in this series yeah, um, yes, he was. but um, he came in and he was right to have that confidence um, but Ferguson and, and Leighton even with Whiteside and McGraw and everything and Strachan and everything that followed Ferguson Leighton was seen as the massive falling out of these first few years of um, mm. the first um, the early years of the Ferguson era but Ferguson actually said this is an incredible line that I only read in researching for this podcast uh, Paddy he said mm. I have tremendous uh, like Ferguson famously would go on record in like 25 years time as saying you know Yapstan was my only regret and maybe he'd name one or two others mm. uh, so he, it was basically that control thing sort of saying I, every decision I made was right apart from one or two but mm. this line from Fergie is just incredible I have tremendous regret but you can't apologise for doing something that needed to be done I just find that's obviously Ferguson all over really but it's it's that says to me that behind the complex decisions behind the brutalness of them uh, brutality I should say behind that was that sort of human thing so he never sort of in the later years he'd shy away from that because he'd come across as this massive leader which he was but in the earlier days I, I still think that that was still with him all the way through and I think in the end it became more sentimental like we, we saw with the likes of Jason Park getting recalled into the team and stuff like that um, for, the, for the European Cup finals but in the earlier days it was sort of like now I know that the knives have been out for me earlier in the season I've got mm. to make these tough calls yes, um, yes. I, I think that's that, you know that's that's true I, I, I think the, the image of Ferguson is the most ruthless manager of all time is exaggerated. Um, yes, he is capable of ruthlessness uh, in every aspect, but um, he also has made decisions. Well, the fact that he didn't, that you know, he accepted Archie Knox's point about the semi-final mm. shows that he was, uh, you know, he he wanted to give. Uh, Leighton as much respect as, as, as Leighton undoubtedly deserved um, and he knew how tough it was well after even in, in the vindication of winning uh, and if, if Les Seeley hadn't kept a clean sheet that day uh, who knows what it would have happened yeah. uh, so he was undoubtedly vindicated uh, when, when, when Lee Martin as you uh, as you were desperate not to, not to <laughs> indicate earlier on, did score the goal with that half volley from a, a, a superb long pass from uh, from Neil Webb. So vindication from the for the new signing. <coughs> uh, that was that was what won the game. And uh, 
but even in that vindication, it was tough. And, and somebody told me, I can't tell you who the source was, of what happened after the game, which can only be uncomfortable for Ferguson. Um, Leighton was crying in the dressing room afterwards. Um, mm. uh, and so much so that uh, uh, Les Seeley very kindly um, offered for him to have the medal instead, given that he played in every game but one. Um, but he, you know, he, he, he didn't take it. Um, and at the rep, uh, reception in the Wembley banqueting suite, uh, Leighton's wife was glaring at Ferguson, and, and Ferguson it, it didn't glare, but he stared back. He, he, he held her eye. Um, and as I said in, in my book about Ferguson, it was an unwise decision for Mrs. Leighton, far from backing down, kept her contemptuous eye on him while raising two fingers in a gesture unlikely to have been referring to United's victory. Listen, there was a lot of pain um, there, and, and so it's not funny, but I suppose at, at the distance of all these years, it is quite funny, isn't it? Mm, yeah, and, and in, in sort of reflecting over that period and sort of saying, defending Ferguson's right to do that, let's not point him out as a, a martyr because he wasn't um, he was making that decision because his own future rested on that and he knew and it was a correct decision yeah oh yeah absolutely and I think Leighton I mean Leighton himself had I think in, when he was first told that he wasn't going to be playing he sort of I think he did say you know well that's that's my own fault but obviously didn't forgive him for it because of of, of what it meant and the sort of I think what Ferguson's biggest regret was that um, the <laughs> it's funny when you read it because uh, it, this again is in the six years at United he speaks about how um, how the rest of the football world turned their back on Jim Leighton after that <laughs> as if like the high profile nature of the FA Cup final dropping wasn't the reason for it Ferguson was trying to say we were still a very good goalkeeper the rest of the football in world needs to take some responsibility for it as well <laughs> and, and I, I sort of get what he's saying but come on you know what what's going to happen that's why no one would touch him with a barge pole after that um, well they obviously did and then Leighton went on to have some good years after that don't well, get me wrong to a world cup absolutely did the world cup in 19 19- Eight? Yeah, he did. Yes, yeah. so that's eight years after the after the event. So it's yeah. um, certainly. Yeah. Oh yeah, he, he he survived all right, and of course he 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 had the greatest honour that any footballer can have. He played for Dundee for a bit. So uh, <laughs> absolutely, so um, there was there was life in the old dog yet. Yeah, and just to give this sort of sense of symmetry to um, round up the the show. A couple of youth players that we haven't mentioned Arthur Albiston left in 1988 So he'd been gone for a couple of years I mention him only because um, Mike Duxbury who was, He played more times than any other United player in the, in the 80s um, for the club in the 80s and he, um, he'd he felt a certain guilt about taking Albiston's place obviously Dugsbury was at home at right back and centre half but, um, but he in the desperation to get game time started playing at left back and he felt a little bit guilty because he, he basically ended Albiston's career and Dugsbury himself found himself a uh, victim of that same cycle at the end of this season when obviously after all that tremendous service he was he was the next one on his way you had Mike Phelan I think Mike Phelan played it right back in the final and he was obviously he's a utility man but more at home in midfield and that was the writing on the wall yeah. for 
for another of um, United's long-serving um, players. But yeah. that was the past, and this is the future. Lee Martin, you mentioned we mentioned he was one of the original fledglings. Um, you know, I like my little factoids, and I'm sure I've probably mentioned this one to you before. Martin, the only youth team player to score a cup-winning goal for United under Fergie. Oh really? And the first one. So yeah, the next oh, was the Is next. That that? The next one was Jesse Lingard in 2016. Ironically enough, from Fergie's last FA Youth Cup winning team. Although I'm, I'm sure Paul McGuinness won't thank me for, for giving Fergie the credit for that one because <laughs> obviously he was in charge of them. Um, but yeah, so things were obviously Ferguson was wielding the axe with the past and looking to the future, um, but it's very much the present that was going to be on on the um, agenda for the next couple of seasons, and that's what we're going to be looking at in the next season because obviously United are back in Europe and who knows where that will lead Away days are great but there's nothing quite like playing at home the same goes for McDonald's maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery order now on the McDonald's app at participating restaurants 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonalds.com This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.